Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, connected, and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that his spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Someone asked which Swiss chalet I'll be taking you to. There was a, there was a lot less of you at that time. Even with two can dive for $19.99. We tried to go to Swiss LA yesterday. We couldn't get a seat. There were so many people there. So there, it's, it's a good deal there right now. But even at, at that rate, I, I, we can't afford to do that. Um, really, really thankful to be here. Uh, as Andrew said, um, uh, I, I don't feel like a guest here. I really never have. Uh, and we are uh, part of the broader uh, you know, church, church family uh, as part of the Great Commission Collective. Both of our churches were uh, planted out of the overflow of what God has been doing at a whole Bible church in Oakville. And uh, so we're both uh, daughter churches of, our, of the same uh, parent church, but uh, we, we love this church family. Our church family, my family uh, is here this morning and uh, we love the pastors, the leaders, the staff and, uh, and the people here. And every now and again, we have people kind of go back and forth between, uh, between the churches. And so we're really uh, excited to uh, see some familiar uh, faces here and to, uh, and to reconnect with those who used to be a part of our church family and have joined uh, this family. I still think more people come here than go, than go to us, but that's fine. That's fine with me um, and uh, very, very, very thankful. I know your church has been in a series uh, on uh, prayer and uh, what I would like to do uh, today is to, is to look at a prayer from the book of Psalms, Psalm 61. I'll meet you there uh, in a minute. Uh, the book of Psalms, is a, it, it's, it's a book of poetry. And um, in literature, there's different genres, there's different types of poetry, or there's different types of, of writing in the, in the Bible. So uh, if you read a John Grisham novel, you're going to read that different from how you would read an article in the New Yorker, or an article in the New York Times, or the scroll along the bottom of CP24. Uh, we do lots of reading, and there's lots of different genres of literature that we need, to, we need to pay attention to. And you can't read a poem the way that you read a news report. You can't read a long-form journalistic article article in the same way that you'd read the, the ticker on a, on, on a news uh, program on television. And the, the Bible is the same way. You don't read the book of Psalms the way that you would read the book of Numbers or the book of Matthew uh, or the book of Revelation. And the, the best analogy that I've ever heard in terms of understanding genre in the Bible is an analogy of, of fruit. So there's a variety of different types of fruit, right? A strawberry or a grape. Uh, an apple or a banana or a pineapple. And there are different genres in the Bible. There's poetry and there's narrative, there's history, there's law, there are letters. And, and in the same way that you don't eat a strawberry in the same way you eat a grape, 
You gotta cut the little leafy parts off the top of the strawberry before you enjoy. You don't bite into a banana the way you bite into an apple. You gotta, you gotta deal with the, the skin uh, first. And, and, and trust me, you, you don't eat a pineapple the way you eat any other fruit, right? That, you've, that requires a lot of work. And so we, we, we wanna approach the book of Psalms a little bit differently. Narratives tell us what happened. Law tells us what to do. The letters often tell us what we should believe, but Psalms tell us how we should feel. And, and the Psalms, they, they kind of play by different rules. Well, let me just read to you Psalm 61. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Now this is why we need to be careful when we, when we read the Psalms and read it as poetry because he calls God a rock. God is not an inanimate object. We, you can't pick up and throw God. You can't blast God away with dynamite. Uh, he, he, he's not actually a rock, but he's compared to a rock. He's, he's, he's described as having a tent. God doesn't live in a tent. Uh, he's described as having wings. God is not a flying creature. He's not a bird. God doesn't have any feathers. And, and so we, we need to be careful in, in how we understand and interpret the book of Psalms. Psalm 61 is a psalm of desperation. He begins in verse two by saying that his heart is faint. The King James translates that as saying, I am overwhelmed. This is a psalm of someone who feels like quitting. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever look at the moral decline in our culture and just the gathering momentum towards lawlessness and the celebration of of sin? And do you ever just feel like, you know what? The, The pressure, the cultural tide is just moving too rapidly and too quickly. I'm tired of swimming against the stream. I'm just going to stop. Or maybe you've seen one too many failures of high profile Christian leaders who you listen to on the radio or their podcast every day and you were hanging on their every word and you thought that they were so led by the spirit and yet evidence now is proving that they're being so led by the flesh. And you're just like, whatever. I I just feel like quitting. I just feel overwhelmed. I'm so disappointed. I'm so disillusioned. Maybe you've had your heart broken. Your heart broken by someone who you thought was going to be your, your best friend for life or your future husband or wife, or maybe your heart was broken by your husband or wife. And you just feel like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm tired and I'm, and I'm broken and I'm no longer going to give my heart to anyone else. If that's what, how people are going to treat me when I try to give them my heart, you know what? I'm quitting. 
Or maybe, maybe you've, you've experienced, as you look back on your life, you've experienced such a lack of what you expected to be progress in your sanctification journey where you are still fighting the same battles of habitual sin and you feel like you are not gaining ground, you are losing ground and your heart is faint and you feel overwhelmed. This is a psalm for you. When we feel like quitting, this is the, this is the big idea for, for today's message. When we feel like quitting, Remember that those who are crying out in prayer will soon be singing out in praise. Verse one, he begins by saying, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. He's crying out in prayer and look down at verse eight, so I will ever sing praises. It begins with crying out in prayer and the result is singing out in praise. Let's bow our heads and, uh, and pray together for God's help. Heavenly Father, we've, we've gathered, we've sung your praise, we've lifted our voices to you, we've held symbols in our hands of your son's flesh and blood as he came and dwelt among us, as he laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for us. And Lord, now we pray that as we open your word that you would help us, Lord, that you would draw near to us, that this would not merely be uh, a lecture, but that it would be a message, that it would not be a man speaking about God, but God speaking through a man. And so God, we pray that the spirit of God would illuminate the word of God so that it can encourage and build up the people of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen, amen. Amen. So I want to take you today to three locations, three places where we can go when we feel like quitting. The tower, the tent, and the throne. That's where the psalm uh, leads us. It begins with, with the tower. So if you're taking notes today, jot this down. The tower where we can tell God, I need to be rescued by you. I need to be rescued by you. He says, hear my cry, O God, in verse one. Listen to my prayer. Verse two, from the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. He begins by saying in verse one, hear my cry and listen to my prayer. Now, if you were, if you were studying a letter in the, in the New Testament, like written by the apostle Peter or Paul or the apostle John, you might spend a lot of time trying to determine what what does the Greek word for hear mean? And, and, and how is it different from the word listen? And you spend a lot of energy. Listen, you're wasting your time if you do that in the Psalms. Because Hebrew poetry is based off parallelism. It doesn't rhyme. But, in, but poetry in Hebrew is, you, you, the, the author says a line and then there's a second line that repeats what he just said, that intensifies it. So look at verse one. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Hear and listen, cry and prayer. These are parallels, and at the center of the parallel is O God. So he's crying out uh, to God. He says he's crying out from the ends of the earth. Again, he's not sharing his coordinates. He's not using uh, a GPS. He hasn't come to a, a waterfall going off a cliff with a sign that says the end of the earth. That's, no, this is how he feels. He feels like he couldn't be any further away from where he wants to be. 
He's, fr- he's at the end of the earth. Now, if I were to walk out of here in the auditorium and head down the hallway over here, and if you all called my name, Ted, I'd probably still hear you. But if I went out into the parking lot and, and, and maybe if the door was open and you really shouted, Ted, I'd still probably hear you. But if, if I went out across the street and you called my name, I wouldn't hear you. If I went up, 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 up back onto the Queen Elizabeth way and you called, no matter how hard you called my name, I would not hear you. Not so with God. You can never be too far away for God to hear you. He is always near. And, and we as humans, we have selective hearing. A couple of my sons are, are here this morning and, and there are times where we are on the same floor as our sons. We are in the same room as our sons. And Lindsay and I will say something along the lines of maybe someone should empty the dishwasher. And it's as though nothing had been said. Heads don't raise, no one nods. No, certainly no one goes to unload the dishwasher. But I'm telling you, when we're in the family room and our kids are three stores away and we open Miss Vicky's salt and vinegar chips and you hear the crinkle of the chip bag, they come thundering down the steps. We hear what we want to hear, don't we? God's not like that. Even when we call from the ends of the earth, he still hears us. Even when we don't know what to say, when he says, my heart is faint, he still hears us. Listen, don't think that you're too far away to pray. Don't think that it's been too long for you to pray. It might've been weeks, it might've been months, it might've been years, it might've been never. It's never too late. It's never too far. It's never too long for God to hear your cry. He says his heart is faint. He has nothing left. He's exhausted. He's despairing. He's weak. He's alone. He's anxious. He's stressed. When you're far away, God can hear you. When you can barely speak, God can hear you. And here's his prayer at the end of verse two. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I We live in a a world governed by secular humanism, that there is nothing higher than us, that that the the, the world believes that uh, uh, humans and human reasoning, that is the ultimate end, that there's nothing higher than us. there's, There's nothing that we can look to. It is completely up to us. And, and yet, We live in a world that has decided there's nothing above us and nothing beyond us. It's all up to us. And we are the most anxious and the most angry and the most depressed generation in history because we've convinced ourselves that it's up to us. But when we look at ourselves, we think I've got nothing. And and there used to be a time where we used to listen to experts under the secular humanist sort of mindset. Oh, the experts can figure it out. The lawyers and the politicians and the scientists. How's that going? That's not going well. That's not going well. And this whole idea of secular humanism has, we've turned in on ourselves. So it's not just that we think humans in general have the answer. Now the individual looks into themselves and say, I alone have the answer. Doesn't matter what 
Forget God. It doesn't matter what the politicians or scientists or scientists or whoever or truth or reality says. I am going, there's nothing higher than me. And this is the world we're living in. It's a very different world from the psalmist. The psalmist says, no, no, no. There is a rock that is higher than I. There is someone stronger. There is someone smarter. There is someone superior and they're not a human and they're also not a rock. The rock is a metaphor. He's talking about God. You see, this is humbling. Humbling, recognizing that there is someone stronger and smarter and superior. It's also humbling because he says, lead me. There are, there are other religions besides Christianity that, that would say, there, yeah, there is a God, there is a higher power, but you need to go find the higher power. You need to read the right books or practice the right rituals or follow the right rules. And, and, and you are on a journey and you're the one who has to do the finding. You have to find the higher power. Not so with Christianity. In Christianity, God came looking for us. And, and again, Christianity is humbling. Not only do we recognize that there is a rock that is higher than us, but that we also understand that we can't get to that rock on our own. We need to be led there. And that's what David is praying. God, lead me to you. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In our work, we need to be led by the Spirit. In our parenting, we need to be led by the Spirit. In our study of the Scriptures, we got to be led by the Spirit and led to the rock that is higher than us. He says in verse three, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Again, there's very little difference between what a refuge is and what a strong tower is. It's parallelism, a refuge and a strong tower against the enemy. It's a place of protection. It's a place of security. It is the ro- it's the rock that's higher. It's the higher ground. You don't need to be an expert in military history or military strategy to know that if you have the higher ground, you have a strategic advantage. You are protected by your very placement. But not only do you have protection when you're in a strong tower, when you're on that high rock or that refuge, not only do you have protection, you also have perspective. You see, When the enemy is charging right at you, it's hard for you to sort of decide what to do because you're just dealing with whatever the enemy is throwing at you. But if you get up on a rock, up on a tower, you're actually able to see with perspective, this is how the enemy is trying to attack me. You can start to see the big picture. You can see the resources that are available to you. But if you remain on the lower ground, you won't be able to see that. So he he prays that he would be taken to this higher rock, to this tower. He asked God to rescue him. And then the Lord Jesus he follows this theme of rock. Remember in, in, in Matthew 7, when he's, he just wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount and he said, build your house on the, on the what? On the rock. Not on the sand of this world or, or your own effort. 
your own merit, but on the sufficient merit that we just sung about on the rock. Build your life on the, on the rock that is higher than you. And then when, when, when Peter sort of clued in and, and realized as it was revealed to him by the father that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock, on the declaration that I am the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's warrior language. This is the rock. This is the rock that you can flee to. This is the rock that will protect you, that will bring victory. And then in Matthew 21, Right before Jesus goes to the cross, as the Pharisees are peppering him with questions, Jesus says, the stone or the rock that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So if you wanna be led to the strong tower, if you wanna be led to the rock that is higher than you, if you wanna be led to a refuge that will protect you, you will be led to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, it's not all up to you. If you feel empty and lost and discouraged and defeated, listen, there's a reason for that. It's because you can't do it on your own. You were created to live in a relationship with God. And Jesus has come to be that rock for you to be the, 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 the means by which you can be forgiven for your sin, protected from the evil one and given that perspective from, from being in a higher, uh, 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 on higher ground. So we move now from the tower to the tent because God doesn't just wanna rescue us, he wants to also live in relationship with us. Verse four says, let me dwell in your tent forever. So if you're taking notes today, jot this down. The second place where we're headed is, is the tent. Uh, the tent, we, we, I need to live in relationship with you, God. This is the language of hospitality. Remember the ancient Israelites, after they escaped from Egypt, they, they built a tent, which was sort of this symbolic dwelling place for God. The, the language here of this Psalm is tapping into that. It, it's also tapping into this idea of a weary traveler who's being shown hospitality by someone, staying in someone's home. And he says, I wanna live there forever. It's interesting that as he's fled to the tower and as he's looking with a sense of perspective, the immediate crisis sort of seems to fade away. And he's, he's because now he can see the big picture, he's now thinking big picture. So now you have words like forever being used in verse four and verse seven, generations in verse six, day after day in verse eight. Yeah, there's, there's this one particular battle that he's having to fight right now. His heart is faint. He's crying out to God. But as soon as he starts to seek the Lord, he gets this sense of a bigger picture. You see, Satan is always trying to only get us to think about this moment, right? That, that however you're feeling right now is how you're always going to feel. 
And the, the opposition that you're facing or the challenge or the hardship or the pain, it's always going to be this way. And we lose a sense of perspective. And how many times did, did we choose, did we make a sinful choice because of how we wanted to feel right in this moment? Satan's always just trying to, hey, forget the future, forget other people, just think about yourself in this moment. But when you get close to God, you start to think about generations. You start to think about day after day. You start to think long-term. And that is a healthy way to think. How will my actions and my response to the situation, how will this affect me five minutes from now, five years from now, 50 years from now? How is the choice or the decision that I'm making with my body or with my money or with my relationships or with my integrity, how will that affect my family and my friends and my children and my grandchildren? We need, as we draw into relationship with God, we need to see things with a sense of, of perspective. He, he wants to be welcomed into God's tent. And then there's this other metaphor. You have, you have, or let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, again, God doesn't, God doesn't have wings. But this is a metaphor. This is, again, it's, it's a relationship. This idea of little baby birds taking shelter under the, under the mother bird. And then there's this, there's this Selah there. It's sort of right justified in your Bibles and italicized. Uh, th- this word, uh, it hasn't been translated. It's been transliterated, which means that they've taken the sound of the Hebrew word and just kind of produced that with English characters. That's why if you go to church anywhere in the world, uh, you, you won't, you'll probably not understand hardly anything that's being said, except when they say, amen, which just means yes. And that's been, hasn't been translated. It's been transliterated, amen and Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. That, that hasn't been translated, it's been transliterated. And Selah is a word like that. The only difference is we know amen means yes. We know hallelujah means praise the Lord. We don't know what Selah means. And uh, it sounds like the word for lift up, like to lift something, lift something up. So it could be like lift up God in praise, lift up your hands. Uh, it could also mean like, in, it could be a musical instruction, like, you know, like a rest in music. What do you do when you rest in music? You're playing the piano and then you rest. You lift your hands from the keys for, for a minute, right? It's like this pause. It's interesting that right at this moment, right at this moment, this, this image of being welcomed as a little baby bird under the shelter uh, of your parents' wings. And then there's this Selah this opportunity just to pause. So just pause for a second and understand that, that God loves you and that, and that he welcomes you like, like, like a mother bird opens up her wings to, to bring her children close so that they could be protected, so that they could be warm, so that they could be calmed and soothed by the, by the sound of, of their mother bird breathing the sound of her heartbeat. God is drawing you close in this moment, whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with. He doesn't just wanna be an impersonal rock of refuge for you. 
He doesn't just want to rescue you so that you can go off and do your own thing. No, he rescues you because he wants to be in relationship with you. Again, the Lord Jesus, who had a lot to say about the theme of of rock, also uh, encouraged God's people to, to think big picture as it relates to wings and feathers. This is what Jesus said in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to draw near to God? Are you willing to admit that you need to be led to a rock that is higher than you? And are you willing to allow God to love you and to relate to you through his son, Jesus Christ. He says in verse five, for you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. What's a heritage? A heritage is an inheritance. Heritage, inheritance. Who gets the inheritance? Family. Like the, just like the, uh, a mother bird's not going to welcome any, any random bird under her wing. No, her children get under the wing. And so we are called God's children. We are welcomed into the family. We're written into the will as sons and daughters of God because of the gospel. Jesus, as the son of God, was treated the way we deserve to be treated as sinners on the cross so that we would be treated as sinners the way Jesus deserves to be treated as the son of God and, as, and, and as, as daughters of God. We are welcomed into the family. We are given this relationship with him. And how did Jesus do this? He came, John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the word tented among us. He tabernacled among us. He set up a tent so that we could come into God's tent and dwell there forever. So often when we lose that sense of perspective, we gotta, we gotta remind ourselves, listen, we gotta run to the tower, we gotta enter into the tent, we gotta, we gotta remind ourselves, what do I deserve and what have I been given? And, and when we start to ask ourselves those kind of questions and have that kind of perspective, man, entitlement goes out the window. Anxiety goes out the window. Self-pity goes out the window. Fear goes out the window. What do I deserve? But what have I been given? Not only have I been rescued, but I've also been brought into relationship. So we have the, the tower and then the tent and then thirdly, the throne the throne. Look with me at verse seven. Sorry, verse six. A prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform vows day after day. So again, if you're taking notes today, the, the throne, I, I, God, I, I need you to reign over me. I need, you to, I need you to protect me. I need you to relate to me. And, and I need you to, to reign over me. He prays for the king. And um, 
We're not really sure what's happening here. Is David uh, talking about himself? Is he talking about himself, you know, in the, in, in, in the third person and praying for his throne to be uh, established, prolong the life of the king? But then he, then he kind of he jumps the shark here. He says, may his years endure to all generations. David, how is that even possible? Well, what's, what David is doing here is what we so often need to do when we pray is David is grabbing hold of one of the promises of God and he is using the promises of God as the foundation for how he, how he prays. You see, David had been promised that one of his offspring would reign forever. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, it says this, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. So it, when David says, may prolong the life of the king, even though David is the king, he's not talking about himself because he knows he's not gonna live forever. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the promise that one of, Dave, one of the kings, one of the sons of David was gonna reign forever. And the number one candidate was David's son, Solomon. I mean, he was the one who built the temple and, 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 and expanded the kingdom and wealth and prosperity beyond measure. But then Solomon started sleeping with multiple women. He started enslaving his own people. He started bowing down before foreign gods. And so we don't want that forever. And then you sort of follow the story of David's offspring through the book of, of, of uh, Second Kings and, and First Chronicles. And, and every once in a while, there's these bright spots, right? Like King Josiah. Yeah, we could have some of that forever. Uh, Jehoshaphat or, 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 or uh, who's the other one I had, I had <laughs> listening? Hezekiah. These all seem like great kings, but they were, again, they weren't perfect. And you wouldn't want that forever. And then there, were, then there were some kings who were like, uh, no, like yesterday is, is, is too late. We, we can't have this guy reign over us anymore. Like, like, like Manasseh or like Ahaz. Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings. Ahaz led the people of Judah into sacrificing their own baby children in idol worship. Ahaz actually took one of his own children and, and had that baby slaughtered and burned. It's, it's, uh, it's utterly unimaginable that a society could get to that point. And it got to that point under Ahaz's leadership, but it was to King Ahaz that Isaiah came and in Isaiah chapter nine, speaking to the king who had slaughtered his own son, this is what King Isaiah, this is what King Ahaz heard from Isaiah. He said, for unto us, a child is born. He said this to one of the wickedest kings ever to live, not just one of the wickedest kings to live and, and reign over Judah, but one of the most wicked kings to ever rule anywhere. He said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The foreign gods, they take people's sons. The true God, he gives his son. And listen to what it says. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is the fulfillment of the promise in 2 Samuel 7. This is the fulfillment of the promise that David is praying in Psalm 61 verse 6. And then, I know we're a long way from Christmas, but, but look, look, look at this. When Gabriel shows up and he, he reveals God's plan to Mary, let's go to Luke chapter one. Or maybe it's not there. Maybe I have to turn to Luke. Oh, there it is. Uh, Luke chapter one, it says, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. There it is, forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And, and so, loved ones, when we pray, we, we, we come to the tower to get rescued. We, we come to the, to the tent because God wants to be in relationship with us, but we come before the throne and understand that there's this big overarching plan that God has and that Jesus is indeed on his throne. Verse seven says, may he be enthroned before God that all the kings of Israel, they were on their throne, but their throne was before the throne of God. And then and it says, God, would, would you appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him? So kings had the responsibility of, you know, you're the secretary of defense and you're the treasurer. There's different appointments that the king would make, but David is asking that God would appoint steadfast love. The Hebrew there is hesed and faithfulness, the Hebrew there is amet, to watch over the king. The king's supposed to watch, watch over the country, but David's praying, God, would you watch over me as king? Would you watch over all of these generations until the promise is ultimately fulfilled? So steadfast love has to do with God's relationship, that he's loyal, that he's loving, and faithfulness has to do with God's reliability. And these were to watch over the king. And so David begins in verse one by crying out in prayer. And then here he is in verse eight and he's singing out in praise. He says, so I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Loved ones, because Jesus is on his throne, we can praise God we can move from crying out in prayer to praising God because Jesus is that rock of refuge that we can run to. Jesus is the one who has opened up God's tent to welcome us into God's family. And Jesus is the one who was sitting on his throne and who represents steadfast love and faithfulness. And if David could, could hold on to God's promise and pray a prayer like this as he looked forward to the future fulfillment of his offspring coming to rule and to reign. If David could do that looking forward, I mean, surely we can do that. Looking backward to seeing what Jesus has accomplished as we cast our mind to Calvary as we sang about, but we can also do that looking forward because he shall return in robes of white as we sang about today. And so this psalm takes us from the, from the tower to the, to the tent, 
right to God's throne. And, and, and this psalm takes us right to the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, who modeled prayer, and, and, and who promised us that, that when we pray in his name, that he hears and he responds. So let's, let's pray to him uh, right now. And so Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We recognize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the name that is above every name and that he alone is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And God, we, we pray, Lord, that you would draw us near to you. We pray that we would stop being self-sufficient and thinking that we can manage things on our own and that we would humbly cry out to you as our rock. God, I, I, I pray that, that we would find fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in how we relate to you as we draw near into your tent and under the shadow of your wings. And God, I pray that we would allow you to rule and to reign over us. God, we, we thank you for this body of Christ. We thank you for this representation of your family that's gathered here in the West End of Toronto. Lord, I pray for your favor and your grace. I pray for times of refreshing. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be on these people as they gather and also as they go, Lord, into their homes, into their workplaces, into their families, into their friendships. Lord, I, I pray that they would be known as people who are in relationship with you and are relying on you and who are serving you as king. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.